I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Encarta. I run hip hop by the numbers on Twitter. I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I'm director of the Fifth Element by highlight Fifth Element Hip Hop, which is knowledge and good fucking luck getting an intro from me today. It's been this. Throat infection, can you not hear me, bro? Oh, I'm, no. on my ra- I'm on my RB radio tip right now, bro. Oh, no. Throat you're, about to get the f- you're about to get the freshest sounds from Al Green, even though they're not fresh at all, and some Luther That's what you can get. You can get that, get that Jada kiss and get some, some raspy. <laughs> I swear, Jada kiss must have a constant sore throat doing that, doing that ad lib. Just, just popping strepsils constantly, bro. Super inflamed. <clears throat> Jesus Christ. Hi, Ben. How's your week, Ben? What have you been this week? All right, this week I got into a couple of albums. We listened to Pierre Bourne's Good Movie. Uh, I'm not really sure who told Pierre that he's better served performing on his own beats rather than selling them to people with actual vocal talent, but they're responsible for some of the worst hip-hop we've heard in 2022 because it's it's sad, man. you put down his creativity. Is it, look, these, these beats are great. These beats are genuinely, genuinely good. As a producer, I think Pierre's always had the ability to distill the current sound down to its perfect form, then kind of add his own unique flair uh, and unique selling point to it. But then adding his lyrics on top of that, that's the definition of doing too much. We don't need that. That's way too far. You know, the content on here is horrendous. It's just, it's an hour and nine minutes. And it's song after song of back and forth about loving women and then being confused by their actions and emotions. And it's just so repetitive. And we get lead balloons like, she want to play with my fiddle. Girl, I love it when you jiggle. I got bands like the Wiggles. Like, that's just, that's bad. That's that's bad. And You, you can't know, be referencing the Wiggles in 2022, bro. I'm sorry. I, uh, I'll be done. I mean... The Wiggles, Sorry. the Wiggles slap, the Wiggles slap. When I'm you, sure they do. When but... you taking care of kids, you got like when I take care of my nephew. Oh my god, Wiggles and Telly Tubby. That's what you. Can, that's what you can hear now. You're just gonna hear Pierre Bourne. There's, yeah, there's, there's talking about Wiggles. he's getting bands like the Wiggles. Like, like nice. No, How dare you even... kill the Wiggles for Ben? People, people hammering me in my DMs when I asked them what the appeal of Pierre is. They were saying that because I don't make music, I could not understand why this music is good. Which is you the just got Rick and Morty? <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the old school. Old You're not intelligent school. enough. You're not intelligent enough. Yeah. Anyway, it's a, it's a no from me. Uh, Francesca Wexler, uh, Cherry Fields Forever. The range on this album is incredible. On the the title track, she sounds like Azalea Banks slipping comfortably onto this like EDM dance beat. Then the next track is Bronzefish, which is this menacing trap beat. She really commands with a really powerful vocal performance. Uh, I never knew where this album was going to go next. You know, Sweetheart has this beat that's built around a tambourine. Did not expect that. Sounds more like an alt-rock piece than a blend of hip-hop. Then Pink Noise, to me, was an absolute standout on this record. Those horns at the start really set you up for something epic. And this slow groove slet sips in with uh, Wexler kind of elongates. She has this elongation that she does. She elongates her bars with this slow drawl. And then there's a beautiful, crazy hook in there. Whole project is like a blend of hip hop, R and B, Afrobeat, dance, alt rock. It's a journey, man. It's a great record. Then we got Yara, the Queen's Gambit. 
whoever put me onto Yara, I'm sorry, I don't know who it, who it was. Was it you, Charlie? No, you put me on the I put Charlie on the Yara. Someone put me on the Yara, and then I put Charlie onto it. But 86 monthly listeners, and uh, you'd hardly know it from how oh, accomplished really? this record is, man. It's bars and flows over the top of really solid production. We get a Planet Asia feature at the end on Payday. Uh, I think The Great Awakening was the best track on here. It's like this spoken word stream of consciousness. Uh, Yara gets really deep on that track. This is a really good project. It's really good. I fully recommend it. Uh, we got Big Baby Gucci dropped a new album, Summer of Revenge. Big Baby Gucci's been going through some really, really difficult things lately. So to get an album from him is unexpected. And this is probably one of his best albums. I think this is him leveling up vocally. Uh, and I knew it would happen at some point where his last few albums have kind of sounded a little bit the same. They've tracked kind of the same path. On this one, he's really starting to skate. He's really starting to you know, sing with a lot more passion and a lot more power. And uh, he sounds revitalized and, and awakened on this record. This is, you know, this is that SoundCloud kind of sound, that 8-bit trappy uh, wall of noise, yeet kind of production. But yeah, Big Baby Gucci is very fascinating in that lane. I really enjoyed this record. And then we got a new project from Madlib, um, L-M-E-N-D-L-M-D called Flying High. I mean, Madlib, like... It was, it was interesting this week because we got beat tape from Clown Cat, we got a beat tape from Kenny Beats, and then we got a project from Madlib. Now, Madlib is just, you, you always wonder, like, is he going to set himself apart again because everyone's doing such good work right now? He just keeps doing it, man. Like, the beats on here are unbelievable, like, so incredible. And hearing uh, the, the, the rapping over the top of it is just, they slip into these beautiful cadences and... It's a, it's a great record, man. It's a really solid record, uh, as you would expect. And then Kenny Beats. We got Kenny Beats', uh, I think it was called Louie. That was good. That was really, really good. Uh, blended a lot of different sounds. Uh, I would have loved to have heard a rapper over the top of these, but it was a straight-up beat tape. It was like a, you know, Ninth Wonder kind of thing, like short songs, a minute 40, two minutes, uh, get in, get out, create some cool sounds, find some cool loops, and uh, yeah, there was some really, that's a, that's a definite journey, you know, there's some really interesting loops on there. And finally, Clown Cat dropped his new project. Uh, I think he's still only 16, Clown Cat. What a freaking producer, man. There's this, there's this artist called The Caretaker. I don't know if people know about this guy, but he used to blend these like really, really old vinyl records that he was finding from like the 20s and 30s, like really old school stuff. And he, he had this like, uh, end of the world kind of quality. If anyone's ever played Fallout 3, Fallout 4, and you listen to the radio, it's like really like, I don't know, scary. It's this like really warm vinyl scratches, but it sounds scary because it's, it's the end of the world. Clown Cat has that same energy. He's reaching back into the past and finding, you know, not stuff from the, the 70s and 80s. He's going way back. We're getting like big band music. We're getting like old, old school jazz on this project. And uh, it's fascinating because he's obviously a rap producer, he's a hip-hop producer. I, I don't know who would be rapping over the top of these. It would be really interesting to see anyone trying to, especially in the underground, any, anyone trying to tackle these beats because they're so fucking intricate. It's just like when I listen to it and put it on, you know, a lot of the time with these kind of beat tapes, you listen to it, you know you're listening to a producer with beat tape five and they're trying to like, put something out to, you know, further their hip-hop production career and trying to find something type beat or this type beat. 
that's not Clown Cat, man. This is a fully realized project, and he clearly did this and, and wanted to like show that he's capable of making something solo, and it's a brilliant project. I would I'll fully recommend people listen to that. So that was me, Charlie. What about yourself this week? Yeah, I got some good stuff in. Um, Nedjman Efetiti uh, EP called Tung Fu. Love the name. Um, name. Obviously, a a mainstay. Um, Having Napoleon the Legend on one track uh, with Marinated Bullets. Really enjoyed that one. I really enjoyed the whole thing. It's only four tracks, um, just uh, 11 11 minutes. Um, But yeah, so just reaffirming um, that she's one of my favorite uh, lyricists going right now. Honestly, I feel like she just runs rings around any beat um, and just completely dominates every time. Absolutely amazing stuff. Uh, Kenny Beats is Louis. Really enjoyed this one, actually. Um, I feel like this is something that if I was playing like SSX back in the day, it would be something I'd pop on. Um, you know, 17 tracks, only 33 minutes. Um, so it's relatively short and sweet, like you said, in the grand scheme of things. Um, I do think there are people on here, um, but they're just not like quote unquote featured, but there are like snippets of artists on here that come up. Um, but regardless of that, it's a really good, um, just a overall body of work as an instrumental project yeah i really really fuck with it so shout out to kenny beats on that uh yara queen's gambit uh fully agree with you um great awakenings best track on there um just with the <coughs> the 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 way she goes about it and also um with that with that production where it's just very minimal and then has just that little crescendo of something happening at the end of every end of every um uh, few seconds it's very interesting, um, but yeah, the whole the holy piece uh, very solid, um, really really good stuff. Uh, seven tracks, fourteen minutes. If you want to get into that, uh, <laughs> Snoop Dogg Metaverse the NFT drop volume two. Uh, just what? God, one still one of the worst title things this year. Um, too many too many things going on on that title, but yeah, it's okay. Um, I do like Hotline with October London, um, but then it gets to stuff like it really turns me on with Chris Brown, and I'm just like, no, thank you. Um, rolling it down the highway with Warren G and Nate Dogs, okay. Um, it's probably not the best out of the bunch. Uh, you never had it like this again with Warren G. It's not bad, but yeah, past that, I, I, I can really, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, uh, high, I guess, is a good good track. Um, but yeah, it's okay. Um, highly highly recommend his previous um uh, couple, uh, from um uh, from a few months back. Uh, so he has released like four projects this year. I've listened to all of them. Um, because uh, because why not? And uh, yeah, just put on Death Row Summer and just enjoy that because the rest of it is um you know BODR was okay, but um, yeah these these metaverse projects ain't doing it for me. Um, lastly, uh, Wayne Shorter, Terry Line Carrington, uh, Leo Genovese, and Esperanza Spalding live at the Detroit Jazz Festival. Um, so as you can imagine, this is a live album uh, from uh, legend, those Wayne Shorter, um, and obviously. More contemporary talents, uh, Terry Line Carrington, Esperanza Spalding on the vocals, and also Leo Genovin, fucking hell, Gino Vese. Um, yeah, it's very, it has this, um, it has a lot of erratic moments, I feel, um, and that's uh, kind of not my personal steez. Um, there's a lot of shit just, you know, just noises being thrown at you, that kind of jazz. Um, but Midnight in Car- Carlotta's Hair, the last track is um, wonderful, really wonderful track um, to listen to. Um, Esperanza, I think, um, uh, kind of just takes the whole thing, in my in my opinion, just because she's the vocalist in all of it, and uh, she comes through with some just amazing vocals that just cut through everything else. Um, and yeah, she just uh, she completely bosses it. So shout out to Esperanza supporting, and shout out to the rest of the squad on that front. 
But with that said, we get into our topic for this episode, which is a fourth edition of our Hip Hop Neighbours. For those that are unaware of what Hip Hop Neighbours is, we basically talk about projects that aren't exactly in the hip hop realm, but um, for one reason or another, um, hip hop people enjoy them. And um, I think we've uh, fit, fit the bill on this one once again, hit the nail on the head with these two. Um, we're looking at the works of uh, Tame Impala and also Kay Trinada. Uh Ben didn't tell me which Kay Trinada, uh album, so I guess to we're be, to be doing fair, them all. You, I don't think you told me what Tame Impala album either. I said Currents. Did you? Well, I mean, you know I don't listen to the one album. I talk about the whole thing, so. I mean, you can if you want, but like, <laughs> but we talk about one album from these, but whatever, it doesn't matter. I, I'm not complaining about listening to Kay Trinada, believe it or not, so... um. With that said, let's spend some Cajunada. What you, you got, man? You want to start with Cajunada? Okay. Uh, yeah, we can jump into Cajunada. Let me scroll down. So, like, if you're if you're unaware about Cajunada, he's one of the most consistent and experimental producers in the game right now. A fully fledged artist in his own right, dropping EDM music since. Uh, you know, he he won himself two Grammys in 2021 for best dance recording on t- uh, and best dance slash electronic album with Bubba. Now, over the last eight years, he's produced for Mick Jenkins, Mob Deep, Vic Mensa, Mine, Freddie Gibbs, Illa J, Reggie Snow, Talib Kweli, Anderson Park, Zilli Banks, Chance the Rapper, Body, Bishop Nehru, uh, Cadence Weapon, Quelle Chris, and obviously most recently IDK. But you know, far more potent have been his remixes. Um, which began way back in 2009 under his original name, Ketra, Ketra Damas, which is a very cool name. Now, his solo work is best described as melodic electro-funk, focused fully on the percussive elements of songs, so mainly drums and a bass line, and he kind of builds a whole environment of sound around that foundation. He often laces his tracks with uh, synth riffs and flourishes, but there's this really addictive beat tape quality to his work. It never feels like he's trying to shove a whole orchestra uh, into your ears or add instruments until a track is just unlistenable um, you know it, it's an incredible like he, he's a, there's a potent minimalism to his work that I, I find really fascinating now unlike Kevin Parker and Tame Impala we're going to go in different directions here because Kay Trinata has been a fan of hip-hop since youth like he was you know this is where he began he actually held was held back in the seventh grade for three years because in the words to Fader he struggled at math and history but it meant he connected with his brother, Lewis Phillip, and his friends, um, who were rappers, and they helped him develop his love of uh, Tribe Called Quest and Dilla. And this was just where he began, you know, like Lewis Phillip taught him how to use Fruity Loops, and Katra said the first uh, beats that he was producing was straight hip hop. So I want to flip this episode a little bit because compared to how I would normally do them, rather than speaking on what relationship Katranata has to hip hop, I'd like to detail how he began creating music outside of it because, as you can see from his production discography and his influences and his friendship group, it was all set up for Kay to become a straight hip-hop producer and that's exactly what he wanted to do. That's what he wanted to be. He told Fader his goal was always to be a rap producer, but it was partly due to an obsession with vinyl, which he said consists only of records pre-1989 and obviously a lucrative opportunity to DJ dance parties that helped him transition into another genre. So it was SoundCloud and YouTube that pushed K into this lane. He would post these high-end remixes that I mentioned prior, and he told Sway prominent YouTube accounts would post them and link them back to his SoundCloud. Now he told Clash in 2014 that the Janet Jackson remix, If, which dropped in 2012, and currently has a stack 
staggering 11.9 million streams on SoundCloud blew up overnight and this success fueled him to expand outward uh, with Brandy, Beyonce, Jeff Buckley, Nelly Furtado, Bruno Mars, Flume, Disclosure. You know, these remixes are, they're woozy. They traverse a range of genres, usually settling on adding like strong percussion to R&B and pop numbers and then extravagant dance additions to hip-hop tracks. His uh, stretchy bass and undeniable groove on the Amiri Why Don't We Fall In Love remix is a massive highlight. He clips her vocals to the beat, uh, which is one of his big talents. Clipping vocals are incredible. Um, He told Clash this. He said, people love the bass lines I do. Up-tempo, neo-soul. Nobody thought about doing that. And that's what I'm focusing on right now. Now, obviously, despite the fact he said in interviews he's a rapper and he wants to be a rapper and a a hip-hop producer, he couldn't deny the world of opportunity that opened up to him when he expanded into dance music. He began dropping these remixes at 16, and by the time he was 21, he he dropped out of school, he was touring Europe, uh, he was signed to a record label with a bunch of other electronic acts, and... You know, even in 2014, his level label situation leveled up again. He signed to XL, and this opened his entire world up. Uh, Kali Uchis, Bad Bad Not Good, Anderson Park. Um, you know, this these were like collaborations he was able to get uh, when he started signing, and this all came from dance music. This all came from electronic music. And in 2015, his huge break came. His buzz had grown so much that Madonna called him personally and asked him to open up some dates on a North American tour for Rebel Heart because he'd remixed a couple of Madonna tracks. Now, by this stage, Keitronada had a foot in both camps. His tour schedule was how he was earning his money, dropping out of high school because of how lucrative it had become. And when he played DJ sets, while he could absolutely bring hip-hop into the mix, his audience was clearly not hip-hop fans. I mean, I'm sure they were hip-hop fans, right? But they weren't like the the hip-hop heads you've seen at Mob Deep shows. You know, if you watch his verse Boiler Room set back in 2013 in Montreal, it's very dance heavy. There's a big sweaty man behind him losing his mind to these clipped 80s synths. It's really crazy. Uh, there's some Belle Biv DeVoe in there, a bit of Dealer, some Common, some Buster, but the vast majority of that set are not hip-hop tracks. So from 2013 to 2015, Kate Trinata had the DJ scene and the remix scene locked down, but he actually said he wanted to make an entire album. He told Fact Mag... He'd been wanting to put an album out for seven years. And so in 2017, he actually told his management, he said, I am leaving this tour. They wouldn't let him come off. They wouldn't let him stop touring because they said it was so lucrative for him. He was building his buzz for this album. He actually forcibly removed himself from the tour so he could work on this creation. And he said his biggest influence and love is Madlib. And his goal in making an album was to create something akin to champion sound or donuts obviously jay diller he talks heaps about jay diller as well um now so it's surprising that his first album is not a straight hip-hop album at all uh, apart from a couple of rap verses it's, it's not a hip-hop album so yeah when, did you listen to this one charlie and like see what you thought about it what 99.9 yeah um yes definitely did um listen to both and uh this is probably my favourite out of the two, um, personally, uh, of this and Bubba. Um, but, you know, it's pretty much close. So it's not it's not like, you know, by a country mile or anything. I just prefer listening to this. Um, Bubba does have a very good um, stretch of tracks, I would say. But um, I think overall, just um, 99.9% is just a more uh, just keys of listen for me, personally. You know, I've got a good with Craig, Craig David and... <laughs> 
drive me crazy with Vic Mensa. One too many with Fonte is wonderful. But um, once it gets like glowed up with Anderson Pack, it just blows up for me. Um, like in a but in a good way. With like you're the one with Sid, absolutely outstanding, vivid dreams, leave me alone with Shaylia. I remember this um one video where it's Kate Renard and Shaylia and uh like he's he's just about to drop and Chaley is just like just just waving like just just waving that body kind of thing and hmm. then the beat drops and she's just go and she just she just goes off it's crazy um but yeah uh, i feel when it comes to Katrinada uh, um it's obviously a good shout in terms of this um uh in terms of this uh essence of conversation we're having where obviously he has a strong link a strong girl one of the strongest links um to hip hop even though um it's not he's not firmly in that camp but obviously everyone in in the hip hop uh, sphere um a lot of people respect him you know like you said with the people that he's worked with and done have done remixes of and what he does in his shows i, I really I'm kind of pissed out of the uh, of all the shows I've missed this year. I feel like um, Catronada would have been oh, it's definitely yeah. up there for me. That'd be wild. Look, I, I had the uh, I think I saw his. It just sold out really quick. I was just like, "Fuck!" <laughs> I think it sold out in like less than now or some shit. I don't know, but yeah, it sold out really quick. And I saw a video towards it. I was just like, "Damn, that looks kind of fire." But anyway, um, sadness over. Um, yeah, this album's just like really. It's, it's it's it goes down really smooth um it's endlessly replayable like how like how i think dance albums should be or anything of this nature i feel like if it, if it's not replayable then why why is it why is it available you know what i mean um but yeah this is just endlessly um a smooth listen um from first listen or hundredth listen just keeps on being smooth as silk um i think everybody um in terms of features does their job on that on this front like a little dragon on bullets is a good shout as well um but yeah i feel like he as a good i think a good um producer slash dj in in this realm always i feel like the 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 reason why uh the the reason why they can be so great is because of the people that uh in in this the people that respect them you know what i mean um i feel like even you know even the more uh, heavily mainstream ones, uh, like your, you know, David Getters, for example, um, it works for him because he just gets people on and he can just whack out the Rolodex and just go, yo, you see ya, let me, let me get you on this, uh, you know, Kelly Roden, let me get you on one of the best tracks from the 2000s. Um, you know what I mean? It's just, it, when, once you get into that point, it kind of, I've, I've, you know, this has come from me who hasn't made beats or doesn't uh, 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 <laughs> traverse in that realm. Well, how could it we have an easy. opinion? It must get easier, right? How can we have an Shut opinion, up. Charlie? I know, I know. Yeah, you, you don't. You still don't know anything about it. Okay, shut up. Um, you still lose a bit. Um, and uh, yeah, so I feel like it, it must get easier, right? To just just have people. Not on speed dial or anything, but just like, yo, I've got this beat. Do you wanna do you wanna come on it? I was gonna go yes because this is. This is, I think the excuse me I think the pull for for these people for the, for like the Anderson Packs and, and and like is because they don't rap over the stuff like this um, all the time. So when you are given the opportunity, I'm sure they jump at it um, to go over something bo- more bouncy than they usually do. Um, must be a nice change of pace. So um, 
and that and that just benefits Catronada every single point. So, um, yeah, man, he could release an album every year, and it'll just constantly just most likely be Grammy worthy and and stuff like that, and and just uh, keep killing it. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like that's the interesting thing about this uh, this record and what happened with K's uh, career after this. I'll talk about it because you you hit on a really great point. Um, he told Fact Mag about this album. He said, "I want to make vocalists do different things to what they're known for." And we get you know Gold Link on a disco track and Vic Mensa on a minimalist electronic beat, Fonte on a straight up da- dance track. Uh, Anderson Park was probably the most hip hop song on the album. Glowed up. Now, in that Fact Magazine interview, he said that the Neptunes and Madlib were big inspirations because of their genre crossing. He said it's cool to be that random. But to say that he had it all figured out by this point would be a gross misstatement because in the now legendary interview with Fader, which accompanied this album, in which Kate Trinata came out as, uh, as gay, he's hesitant to attach any labels to himself musically. He said during his early years DJing, uh, they were comparing him to Disclosure and Soul Section, who primarily make, of course, house music. But this really annoyed him. He said, they were calling me a house producer, but that's not me. I make all kind of beats. He said, they want that 808. I still put 808 on my shit, but it's just a different kind of 808. And, you know, his brother, Lewis Phillip, he said in this same interview, he said, every EDM producer is white or dominated by the white population. Keitra is one of the only ones who is black and making black music. He mixes disco, funk, hip-hop, house, all that together, and everybody goes crazy because they never heard that sound before. Maybe it could be the birth of a movement, like, damn, this black guy is doing something big for the community. Now, this debut album was a clear statement of intent, um, but, like, you know, later in the interview, he said that he really wanted to escape being a DJ, and he did manage to do it with this record. This is the record that did this. And after this, after this album dropped, his remix output fell dramatically. He did three mi- remixes in 2017, which was the least of his entire career thus far. Then he started producing for Chance, Alicia Keys, Freddie Gibbs, Cassie, Snoop Dogg. He linked up with Pharrell for an interview, which then he spun into a feature on his 2019 album, Baba. Now, his interviews with GQ and High Snobiety tell the tale of someone who began to blossom into their true self. After coming out to Fader in 2016, he moved out of his family home and into his own space. He began dating, he began collaborating with people in person, and this was a huge thing. He wasn't collaborating with people in person before he was just sending beats to people. Now, Bubba is a very fascinating album um, because... You know, in the in the GQ interview, Kay said that some of the artists from 99.9% he reached back out to declined to appear on this record, which he said he meant it meant he had to focus more on creating his own sound and looking for ways to evolve and develop his unique sonic identity. So there's no real genre definitions on here. Afrobeat, house, uh, funk, R&B, disco, hip hop, techno—they're all mashed up together. Now, what Charlie said about collaborating is very true. Obviously, this opened up the door to him. I mean, he's got Pharrell on this record, and he, he did an interview with Pharrell. Rick Rubin's on here. But the problem with Keitronata, he said his own problem was that he was a very shy person, very, very shy. So he was actually still living in his family home with his mother and his brother until, I think, 2016 he moved out. So it was quite a long time. And he said that he was... He, he produces really slowly. He said when he was working with Pharrell, Pharrell was just, like, quick. Every, like, every sound Pharrell heard, he had an idea for it. And Keitronata said he didn't have that same experience. He's just not as fast. So this kind of like hampered his collaboration efforts where, you know, people would come into the studio and it'd take him a long time to come up with concepts and ideas and people would get, he didn't say they would get frustrated, but he said it really like 
meant that he was very self-conscious about his creative process. So what he would normally do is send beats. So he'd send beats to artists and get them to hop on, but a lot of the time they wouldn't. They'd want to collab in person. So that's why Bubble was such an important album because once he got those Grammys, you know, now pretty much anyone's going to want to work with Kei Trinata. Like, I feel like... You know, Kei Trinata's album Bubba came out 2019, so it was a full decade after he dropped his first remix, which is a wild amount of time to finally get to a point in your career where you feel like you can do exactly what you want to do. And you might think listening to 99.9% and Bubba, you'd be like, well, he, of course he's doing what he wants to do. These are these are really unique albums. Like they're not, They don't sound like anything else. But he's always wanted to be a hip-hop producer. He's always wanted to work with rappers. So finally, after this record, he's finally getting the opportunity to do that. And I find it really fascinating that he's gone, like, I, I just want to know what's going to happen next. I really want to know. I mean, he obviously dropped that IDK tape, but yeah, man, I I don't know if there's any, like, I don't know how you feel about from album to album, but from 99.9% to Bubba, I don't see, I see progression, but I don't see a through line. I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen after that. You made a good point in the middle of all that, um, saying uh, that he, you know, talking about him being a black uh, uh, producer slash DJ, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like in answering the question of why hip hop people fuck with him, apart from obviously just, you know, the people that he puts on his records, um, I feel like him as a producer comes with a sense of authenticity. Like you don't, you don't have an album such as Bubba, for example, where you have all the genre blends that you mentioned, the Afrobeat, the hip-hop, the funk, da 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 You don't have all that unless you have, you know, some sort of knowledge in those things and you treat them with respect in that sense. And I feel like that comes through a lot um, with his work. And, you know, I made the minor just comparison to, like, someone like David Gale, where you know, whereas David Gale um, throws on a uh, a beat drop for George Floyd, so there you go. Mm-hmm. Point made. Point made. <laughs> Would you want to talk about Bubba a little bit? This is for George Floyd. God, what a fucking god! What, what a moment in history that 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 track was. Oh my gosh, that clip. Uh, what a crazy clip that was. Y- you know what I'm talking about, right? Which one? Which album? No, no, it's not an album. It's that clip of David Gale doing a show. Uh, during like 2020 and he goes like this one's for george floyd and like he just and then the beat drops it's just uh, uh, it's, the, it's the craziest it's the craziest 30 seconds you're ever gonna see it in life it's i assume it's, it's like i assume it's like um some crazy freaking yeah, edm just beat. look up david get a david get a george floyd it doesn't matter what the track is or anything like that it's just the fact that he was like doing a speech for george floyd and then it's like here's a here's a generic edm bass drop for you it's like <sighs> It just, oh, it just did not. That'll, it was that'll like in the soothe, midst of everything. That'll yeah, soothe it was mid- the family. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It was in the midst of everything. It's just hilarious. Um, look it up and give it a watch. Yeah, I'm uh, reading it now. Just, I'll yeah. talk about, I'll talk it doesn't about surprise me. Just, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so I want to talk about Tame Impala's Currents um, because when I was in university, um, it was like my first year of university, and um, I, I have no idea how I discovered this album. I really don't know how I discovered this album. Um, it just came to me... S- in some way through osmosis i don't know and i remember spinning i remember the first time i spun let it happen and it's obviously the first track on the album and just transported right and then i kind of just spun it a few more times after that um it's funny 
on the Wikipedia it says um uh the the poly the behind the new the inspiration behind the new polished sound of Tame Impala's third album came from listening to a Fleetwood Mac song, and it's very interesting that, that it says that um considering that when I was listening to it today, I kind of came through it with the different because I haven't listened to it in a while um I don't know if I can throw it out but I've got this like really fat fucking collector's edition of a uh, is it called collector's edition uh yeah collector's edition of currents um really fat box oh i love that you've got it yeah yeah, i've always wanted it i've always seen it and been like man i really want to buy that yeah two seconds there we go oh fuck you know i got a big boy oh yeah that's Um, sexy yeah i love that one it's just it's just it's just super it's just super dench what's Um, in it what's it fucking up hang on i'm trying not to fuck my mic um it's a 2lp colored vinyl i think it's red uh, twelve-inch remixes, seven-inch of unreleased B-sides, a flexi disc, which I've never had before, Ooh. and also a Zine Plus poster. Oh, that's sick. Um, so yeah. Um, shout out to the collection of that and that bad boy. Um, but yeah. Uh, what was I at? Oh yeah, Fleetwood Mac. So yeah, it was interesting when it when I when I read read that because well, I listened to this album again after a time I haven't. Um, I found eventually on my my regular rotation for years now. Um, but I haven't spun the album in a while. And while I was spinning it, I was just like, damn, this is a lot of relationship talk. And I was mm-hmm. just, I was, and linking that to something like Fleetwood Mac, which obviously is just, you know, All Fleetwood Mac. relationship talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you see the through line there. I'm just like, damn, mm-hmm. this is very Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> and, you know, so stuff like, you know, the less I know, the better. Uh, eventually, um, past life, because I'm a man. Uh, it's just yeah it's just a new person same old mistakes a lot of relationship talk throughout this album and it's very interesting that, that i just for some reason never got that um before i guess it's just because I, I really fuck with the um psych psychedelic elements of this um of this group um but yeah i, I don't know what it is about this album that uh connects with um connects with me a lot i feel like this is probably this is something that probably should have been a gateway for me to get into more you know psychedelic uh psychedelic rock synth pop etc etc um but i just never got into it but you know i've obviously listened to um you know uh his, his previous stuff um lone rhythm in the speaker and obviously uh the slow rush which we talked about when it dropped um but currents just sits there just it just sits there as a constant for me classic um the other yeah, exactly. The others just um, the others are fine. The others are solid, but I don't know what it is about currents um, that just hits different. Um, it's definitely not the lyrical content for me, like because I'm I'm not really that kind of person where I'm you know um, feeling sad about relationships and shit. Um, I'm not that type, but because um, I'm I'm solid as rock as you know, Ben. I'm, I'm I, odd. I know, um, I know. I'm odd. I'm odd, mate. Um, and <laughs> um, but yeah, I th- I think it's just. I think it's partly just because of the time I listened to it, which was um, first year of uni. And at that point, um, you know, I started discovering stuff before then, obviously, um, a few years before. But um, that was a time where I really just got into different things. Um, It was like the first year I got into jazz, started listening to, um, well, firstly Terrace Mine and then started getting into jazz. So shout out to Terrace Mine for getting me into that. Um, So he was my gateway on that front, right? But for someone like Tame Impala, didn't become a gateway for me for anything, but Currents just sticks there for me. It just sticks in the back of my brain. Like I said, I listen to eventually now and again. Um, 
you know, a couple times a week when it comes up on regular rotation. Um, you know, sometimes from the less I know the better just because of that fucking guitar, that bing, bing, ding, ding. It's just, it just fucking knocks in the earphones. Um, but yeah, man, I don't know what it is about this that I feel a lot of hip hop people fuck with. And I want you to, I, I want to offer you this uh, piece of content if you want for your, for, for Hager Chen. Um, if, what is the non-hip-hop album that people fuck with the most? And I feel like Currents would be up there for a lot of people, um, especially a lot of the younger uh, hip-hop fans. Um, uh, I, 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 I don't know what it is. Maybe you have an answer towards it, but um, it just it just knocks for me and just sticks uh, sticks in my rib. Yeah, I've asked that question a few times on hip-hop numbers and um, Tame Impala oh, gets up there. Tame Impala definitely gets up there. Um, Fair enough. Look... I found this question fascinating, so I went pretty in-depth here because no one's actually... Genius did like a six-minute video, but it was trash. Um, I was curious because Tame Impala, Kevin Parker works with a lot of rappers, so I was like, well, what's what's happened? Like, how has this come about? So you might not be aware of how much collaboration Kevin Parker has actually done in the realm of hip-hop and R&B. Uh, 13, 13 hip-hop songs have either sampled or remixed Tame Impala tracks dating all the way back to 2011. Notably, of course, we have ASAP Rocky, Lil Yachty, Dom Kennedy, Suicide Boys, Max O'Cream, Kid Cudi. It's super interesting looking at his history with hip-hop because until 2018, it feels like he hasn't fully embraced it or even courted it. Now, in 2012, mm-hmm. Tyler the Creator was one of the first rappers to praise Tame Impala. He said he was so impressed he put Frank Ocean onto the group, who would then commend Kevin Parker in a 2013 Guardian interview. On 2013's Bimar, Tyler references Tame Impala right at the start of his verse. Then in 2014, Tame Impala and Kendrick Lamar linked up to drop the track Feels Like We Only Go Backwards for the film Divergent. But Kevin Parker has distanced himself from the collaborative process of that album in a KEX. Say, sorry? How the fuck did that film get those two? Like, I never watched that film, to be fair. It's, it's crap, don't worry about it. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Kevin Parker actually said in KEXP interview in 2015, he said, and I, I quote him, Oh, yeah, that was a weird thing, to be honest. I think it was kind of a put-together thing for the movie. I didn't have much part in it. So KEXP even said it sounded like they are in the room together, and Parker said, far from it. So he, obviously they, that was just a completely constructed collab, but it was through this connection that Kendrick would put Scissor onto Kevin Parker, who in turn put Rihanna onto him. And then we saw her cover a Tame Impala song on Ante, which is one of the biggest records of the 2010, of, of all time really, featuring some legendary hip hop link ups. Now Parker explained to Billboard how that came about. He said, someone was telling me that Scissor got her into me. Actually, I think it was Kendrick Lamar. I did a session with him once and he was like, oh, do you know how Rihanna got onto your stuff? I was like, no. He was like, oh yeah, Scissor played it to Rihanna late at night at my session. She was like, you got to check out Tame Impala. That's how she knew. So even before he was in a room with Kendrick Lamar, Kendrick was so impressed with Parker and Tame Impala that he was putting people onto the band. Now in 2014, uh, we also saw Kanye West during, or sorry, in 2014, Kevin Parker saw Kanye West live during his uh, Yeezus stop in Perth. Now, this was like transformative for Kevin Parker. He said he was so enamored with it and entranced by it, it actually influenced him 
to become much more extroverted and outgoing on stage rather than being kind of insular in his creative process. He told Exclaim, and I quote, he was being Kanye, which is obviously very egotistical. He had that celebrate me persona when he was playing live and everyone was loving it. But what I realized was it wasn't him everyone was celebrating, they were celebrating the music. That's what people want. It seemed like it was all about him, but it wasn't really. The mood was more about the experience of everyone in the room together. But thus far in the story, you can see Kevin doesn't seem particularly clued in at all about hip hop. You know, his backstory is not littered to references to deeply influential hip hop albums. In 2022, Far Out Mag actually asked him about his favorite drum sounds of all time. He lists uh, Beck, Portishead, Led Zeppelin, Stevie Wonder, Serge Gainsbourg, Queens of the Stone Age, but obviously no Dr. Dre, no Dilla, no Mad Lib. They also asked him to list meaningful musical moments in his life. He lists Silverchair, Michael Jackson, Cream, Air. He does put Odd Future in here, but when he lists his formative influences, it's The Doors, Jefferson Airplane, The Beatles, uh, Psych Rock in the 60s and 70s. So it's hardly like a DJ Shadow, for example, or Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, who spoke about being heavily influenced by the exact same artist influencing hip-hop acts in the 1980s. Yet when you look at his genius songwriter page, we've got Travis Scott, The Weeknd, Kanye West. So we didn't dive into his credits quickly because we'll see how we got to that. He formed a friendship with super producer Mark Ronson, and he actually picked up three features on Ronson's 2015 album Uptown Special, which actually featured Mystical. I forgot about that. Uh, Ronson was a huge influence in a different way too. He, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Mark Ronson actually convinced Kevin Parker he could genuinely be a producer, and this opened the door to him working with other artists like Travis Scott and Kanye West. He told Billboard, Mark Ronson was a big producer mentor for me. He was the first one that convinced me I could take it seriously or what I what I had was special. Up until then, I figured I wouldn't really know how to incorporate what I do with other artists, especially ones I don't know personally. So it was actually Mark Ronson who connected him physically with Scissor. Now there's a genuine Scissor collab out there somewhere. And uh, Kevin Parker and Mark Ronson played it when they were DJing the Governor's Ball in 2017. But Kevin Parker told Billboard the collab will likely never see the light of day, which is a pity. Then Parker entirely recorded and mixed as well as co-produced an album for Australian hip-hop act Koi Child in 2016. This was the first time he really engaged with hip-hop uh, all the way in 2016. And the group said that Kevin Parker actually saw them play live at one of their earliest shows and he helped them stay back to pack up their equipment. And before he just outright offered to mix and record their album. And of course, they took him up on that. Then he would provide drums on the Avalanche's 2016 album Wildflower, a group that very well known incorporating heavy hip hop elements. You know, MF Doom, Danny Brown, Biz Marquis were all on that album. Then he worked on Damn with Kendrick Lamar. But he actually downplays it quite quickly in interviews. I've seen him say multiple times in interviews it wasn't a big deal. And he isn't even sure if Kendrick used anything. I'm going to like quote Billboard. This was a really interesting quote from Kevin Parker and Billboard. He says, We met up for like an hour. We were kind of playing each other some stuff. It was before Dam came out. He was working on Dam. I don't think anything came of it necessarily. It wasn't anything huge. I worry now that people might think I have something coming. I don't necessarily think anything is. He wants to do sessions with people all the time. He's obviously an open-minded artist. So 2018 was the year for Kevin Parker's uh, hip-hop expansion. In 2018, he co-wrote Skeletons off Astroworld, and he told Billboard this, 
He said his manager got in touch and said he was a big fan and suggested we meet up if I was ever in LA. So I went to a few sessions. We hung out and played some stuff and he really liked what ended up being Skeletons. That definitely got the biggest reaction out of him. I could tell he liked it. I remember going through this stuff to play to Travis and just thought, oh, this is actually really up his alley. I know Travis likes his psych rock. He likes his crusty metal guitar sound. I was struck by how much I thought it would fit Travis even though it's not hip-hop sounding. So much hip-hop is cycled from music that sounds like that crusty 70s rock. There's so much of that, that kind of King Crimson stuff. So Parker even called this collab with Travis the most satisfying he'd done in his entire career up to that point, saying it was really fulfilling to watch. They also, Billboard asked him existentially about hip-hop music being quicker to record and release. And he said, that's what I love about it. Especially coming from my world, being this control freak, everything's got to be perfect. Working with hip-hop artists has taught me so much about not being precious about every single sonic detail. There's a big thing in the recording world, the professional sound snobbery. You shouldn't use these microphones for this. Uh, real albums get made with real gear. There's that kind of preciousness about it. But I've made my albums for dirt cheap. Hip-hop will take stuff from anywhere. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It just has to sound good. A beat can get made in 20 minutes. I feel like that's a big element of music snobbery. The idea that songs get made in a day are not as good as songs that were labored over for months, which I find so narrow-minded. Then, of course, Kevin Parker pops up on Kanye's 2018 album, Yay. He said this was a much less enjoyable experience. He said it was a saga and a whirlwind. He told Beats One, he's in his space throwing down ideas, taking ideas out, putting it this with this, seeing if this works. He might not know which part of who worked on the song is going to end up on the song until the last minute. And the wild thing is, Kevin Parker had no idea he would even be on the album. It was during a Triple J interview when the Wyoming listening session was being live streamed that Parker reacted live on air saying, holy shit, when he heard a beat that he'd sent Kanye and Kanye asked him to send... Uh, and he told Tone Deaf how that connection came about. He said it was through Will Willow Perrin, who's the designer and creative director. He's been a longtime collaborator of Kanye West with his stage design, and I think album covers as well. He was working on the Tame Impala live show, so I got close with him. One day he said Kanye wanted something psychedelic. He wanted some psychedelic guitars. Willow was like, you've got to meet Kevin then. So he took me out to West Studio one day, and we chatted for a bit, and it kind of went from there. Everything after meeting up with him was over the phone, email and stuff because I was back in Perth. So Parker ended up on Violent Crimes, which is not the song he was going to be on, but a song nonetheless. In a 2020 interview with Exclaim, he does kind of sum up how transformative 2018 was, not just for his image and brand within the hip-hop community, but his attitude towards a collaborative process. He says... The uh, importance of making bold choices. In the past, at the fork in the road, I might have gone the understated route. Now I'm like, fuck it. Over the years, I've gotten more and more attracted to music that is bold. So obviously, since then, he's performed with ASAP Rocky and Travis. He's worked with The Weeknd. Um, you know, and he's definitely an artist who has benefited hugely from hip-hop's love of him. And I just found that story fascinating because, you know, he's one of those artists who just didn't court this at all. Hip-hop like came to him repeatedly over and over and over again. And it got to the point where he was like, okay, cool, let's see what, what the vibes are and you know, help create some of the greatest hip-hop of all time. So yeah, I found his story fascinating. Obviously, Currents is one of the greatest albums ever recorded in history. And you're right, I mean, the other albums don't really match up. I think The Slow Rush uh, became one of my favorite albums of 2020. I really love that. But yeah, Currents has just got this 
this thing about it. It's just such an incredible piece of music. But when you listen to it, you wouldn't think it was anything to do with hip hop at all. You'd be like, what what the frick is this? But I think it speaks more to, you know, hip hop's evolution and diversification in the 2010s, um, which I truly do believe began with Lauryn Hill and then Andre 3000 on The Love Below. You know, songs like Prototype and, you know, She Lives in My Lap and all those kind of things, like that really opened the the floodgates to mainstream artists having genuine guitars and psych rock and psychedelica on their albums. But it took like 15 years for that to happen, which I find crazy. But that's also why we do this particular series of episodes because of how... Um whoever whoever comes first hip-hop links with something else and in this case hip-hop was trying to court kevin parker in this fashion but in a lot of ways it's been the other way as well um i interviewed um, an artist last week well dropped last week um treasure bloom and he he's an r&b kind of like a producer sash um songwriter and uh he you know his music's very r&b um, you know, fused with a lot of other things. Um, but he initially started out doing metal music, um, proper screamo shit, you know, blah, you know, stuff like that. Side note, I did see a video of like a, a metal band. Um, I don't know where, but <laughs> I was just watching them. And uh, while they were performing, there was just dudes playing Beyblade at the front. <laughs> sure. Yeah, right. you sent I, I was me just that, watching yeah. It. yeah, did I send you that? Yeah, I was just like, okay, this is interesting. Um, but anyway. Just men, just my dude, spe- screaming, and then just people just going and let it rip at the at the front. Anyway, uh, f- fun times at metal shows, I guess. Um, but yeah, I that's that's what that's what this is all about. Isn't it? There's the links between certain uh, musical elements, and they're all just intertwined. And in this case, is very interesting because, um, like you said, Kevin Parker never actually sought out this uh, interest from the likes of Rocky and those. Um, so. I feel like that's what makes this one particularly unique in that case where um, he was just none the wiser beforehand and just he's like, I just listen to the doors, bro. Um, yeah. And, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't spin any hip hop or anything like that. But um, it's cool that he embraced it, at the, you know, at, the, at least. Um, he could easily just could have been that guy that just goes like, no, don't do hip hop. He could have been the Roger Waters, like, oh, make, not as yeah. important as, as me. Make a beat in 20 minutes. Ugh. Oh gosh, like you know, like like he said, you know, could have been snooty about it, and he has been snooty about it with his music. But um, obviously, hip hop lends to that anybody can do it, and also you can take anything, like you know, just take something from. Uh, what, what was it? Um, uh, it was it was a song. It was a song that sampled like a street light the other uh, that I heard one time, and it's just like that's just fascinating because it was just such a local. It's just a local localized thing that you probably won't get anywhere else. Um, so it's just it's chill like that it just makes everything fascinating. But yeah, man, shout out to shout out to KP and Tame Impala, man. Just uh, Karras is just goaded. It's just yeah. I need to I need to see him live, bro. I need to see him live. I've, I've another one I missed out on actually. Um, yeah, I forgot when. I think it was like last year. But yeah, man. I, m- I remember a friend saw it and I was just like, damn, regret, regret, regret. But anyway. Ay ay ay. Anyway, we shall leave it there um, and uh, finish up. I'll be into a line note. If you have anything, Ben. I know what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Mr. Jay Z. Mr. Jay Z. Oh, you actually want to talk about it? Okay. Why not, Good. man? Fuck it. Let's, let's. 
I want to hear I mean, you, you, I mean, okay. So, I mean, I, 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 I kind of half-heartedly said to Ben, I want to do a bites on it, but um, you kind of just said no, and I was like, and then it was like throughout the, I was thinking about it throughout the day. Was well, like, do you no, want to do a bites? You reckon? <laughs> no, but I'm going to talk about what's good next week. So I'm, a, okay. I'm, a, I'm a, let this, let this lend to, let this, um, what I'm going to say lend to is a prelude. But um, I'm, I'm going to make the case um, that. For me personally, um, maybe the penny dropped for a lot of people ten years ago, twenty years ago, even thirty years ago. Right? It may have, it may, the penny may have dropped for m- many people earlier on, but the penny dropped for me when, for those that don't know, um, I, <laughs> I was, I was nearly going to say it on wax, but um, uh, <laughs> Rob Markman, um, was on <laughs> Twitter Spaces. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, it's a private conversation. Ben knows the moniker I gave him. Um, but yeah, uh, he was on Twitter Spaces, um, uh, let's say, gassing up. Um, God did uh, with DJ Khaled and a few other people. And Jay-Z apparently hopped on at some point. And obviously, Rob Markman kind of takes the chance and talks to, about Jay-Z um, to Jay-Z. And um, talking about the verse specifically, um, verse of the year, of course, um, as everyone knows. Because um, every Jay Z, Jay Z can fart on a track, and it'll be the first of the year. Because that's how that's how much we have deified Jay Z at this point. Um, so he was talking about that, and then he went into some tangent um, about uh, how in America, obviously, we are sold the American dream. Uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he said that. And then he went into basically conflating how. Uh, him and other black capitalists, he didn't say black capitalists, but um, instead used the word capital- capitalism as a racial slur, mm. um, which, don't know how you got there, um, but fair play, um, outstanding uh, Stretch Armstrong uh, levels of reach, um, managed to use capitalism as a, a, in, the, in the same term as uh, something like monkey and saying, uh, I've been called this, I've been called that, Call me a capitalist. You're gonna need to get so, a bit much better stuff than that uh, to to hurt your hurt my feelings, because we're here to hurt Jay Z's feelings, of course, and not you know of just course. genuinely criticize genuinely criticize his um, way about going about life. Forget um, the fact that also, everyone's been like fawning over his verse and saying he's the greatest rapper of all time. Literally, apparently we're here dick to criticize Jay Z. Like everybody, dick riding. Um, but yeah, he also um, carried on uh, talking about eat the rich as if that's a you know very recent um, a very recent term uh, created on Twitter, even though its roots comes in the fucking French Revolution. Um, you know, what was that <laughs> fucking eighteen hundreds or some shit? Um, so yeah, he goes on a, just like a two minute verbal rant, but for me, it meant a lot more because I feel like again. The penny may have dropped for a lot of people before all of this, but the penny dropped for me, even though we've talked about, you know, capitalism, we've talked about business, major labels, five major labels, we've been on that tip since, you know, episode, what was it, five um, of this podcast, mm-hmm. right? Where we did our independent uh, slash major labels uh, miniseries. So yeah, we've been on that tip for a while, right? I'm aware of that, but it's just the way he was coming, the way he was saying it was so, I guess blatant and very not well read in terms of what he, how he was saying it really just really scared me to be honest because 
if because when people when when like I've said this I've said this to you on uh, on on VM like when ta- when capitalists talk about themselves they don't talk they don't say they're capitalists they say they're entrepreneurs they say they're businessmen you know what I mean it's very 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 sexy terms that people love to put on their shit uh, put on their business card um, and put on their raps funny enough right I'm not a businessman finish the lyric. I'm a business I'm a, man. Let me handle my business. Go. Damn. There we go. Exactly. So, you know, they 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 reword it to make it sexy. And I'm gonna save this little bit for what's good. But I'm conf- I I want to conflate it to something like racism, which Ben doesn't want to touch for obvious reasons, and that's fine. Um, but you know, he did he did uh, combat me on it on VMs, so respect you on that. Um, but. I wanted I wanted to conflate it to that, and the reason why, simply put, is similar because if you are at this point in time in 2022, in when in my country specifically, um, by next month we are going to either have a literal revolution in terms of paying electricity bills and energy bills, um, because those shit those shits have skyrocketed like 700 percent or some fucking shit or 7,000 percent I don't know. Um, <laughs> where people have five thousand a month. Uh, no, yeah. Uh, uh, but anyway, sky high energy bills by next month, right? We're at a point where we just have to say fuck capitalism, right? And just literally have a complete referendum on the thinking of it. Um, in the same way that in twenty twenty, Affa mentioned. Uh, I don't know if you saw the David Getter video, by the way. It's still hilarious. Um. <laughs> anti-racism it is a thing i said this on i've said this on wax before two years ago and i still say it now if you if you aren't actively combating racism then you are encouraging racism in some ways you are you are enabling racism you are enabling it to to grow similar to a weed you can leave that weed but if you're anti-weed you'll pull the weed out right Mm -hmm. so you you may not be a fan of weeds anyway, but you're not going to pull out that weed. So what's the point? Then you're pro weed in that sense, right? It's a similar mindset I'm going through here. When it comes to racism, when it comes to capitalism, now it's not tenable anymore. It's not tenable for Jay Z to be a billionaire. I'm sorry, you earned it. Sure, you made it out of the mud. And the last point I wanted to make, by the way, the the connection to the Marcy projects was crazy. How he weaponized that. And in the same in in the same breath as all that, weaponizing that his own background. Meanwhile, he basically you know helped drill down the uh, the the downtown Brooklyn to make the Barclays Center, and uh, you know do 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 a little tour there, do a couple of dates. Those are the first nights at the Barclays Center. They were Jay Z shows. So it's just funny how he goes about things. And uh, the last point I want to make is that he doesn't read and I want a search warrant into his library if it even exists. Anyway. Well, I think the thing for me about this whole issue, and I, I linked it to Dave Chappelle a little bit when I was talking to Charlie, is yep. it's scary how, la- how little awareness these people have once they get to a certain level. Um, I've read a lot of quotes where people talk about uh, artists at this level not having any kind of awareness or understanding of what's going on in the real world. They're kind of in their bubble. They're in what's going on. And for Jay-Z to come out and say that eat the rich and capitalist are racial issues, like they're, they're aimed at black capitalists, is 
I mean, if you even just look, as I said to Charlie in our voice message, if you look at Australia, for example, we have these things called stage three tax cuts where they want to cut tax to the people in the highest earning bracket. They don't need to freaking do that. And it's a massive, massive, like aggressive campaign against it and saying like, you know, people on, on welfare in this country and disability are living below the poverty line in terms of the money that they're receiving, but they're not getting an increase at all in that. Instead, what we're gonna do is we're gonna make it easier for people in the highest tax bracket to to continue, we're just cutting their tax. It's not a best, you know, I don't know what it's like, I'm not living in America, but the response to what Jay-Z has said is that it's literally not a racial thing. It's just that billionaires should not exist. They don't need to exist. And if you think that, if you think that people are tearing you down and trying to like, diminish your achievements and you know then you're not living in the real world people are upset people are angry people are hurting people are living check to check people are living with fear and anxiety every single day of their life like in america especially if you get injured like you don't have universal health care so if you get injured and can't go to work you're fucked you're fucked, bro. You're not going to be able to feed your family for the next six months. And Jay-Z's sitting there saying, oh, capitalists, people are attacking me for being... No, Jay-Z, people are not attacking you for that. People are attacking capitalism in general. By the fact that you are a billionaire, people are going to attack you because you're part of this system that just does not work. I mean, look at what happened during the freaking pandemic where all these businesses were getting poleaxed And then the government was like, you know what we're going to do? We're not going to step in and save the people. It's the same thing that happened during the GFC. We're not going to step in and save the people. We're going to step in and save the economy. And in America especially, they chose the economy over people's lives. Of course people are pissed off at capitalism. Why wouldn't they be? Like people were forced to go to work in dangerous situations to just get COVID and bring it back home to their family because their only other option was to live in poverty and squalor and not be able to afford rent, not be able to afford electricity. It, it, it annoys me. It pisses me off as someone who has lived like, you know, I don't have a lot of money. I really don't. And... It, I, I, I can't buy luxury goods. I, I live right on the edge. Like if something goes wrong with my car or something really bad goes wrong, uh, it's going to take me four or five months to make that money back and get back to the position I was already in. I'm always playing catch up for the rest of my life. I'm going to be doing that because I have a disability. I can't work a normal job like normal people. So I'm fucked in the eyes of capitalism. I'm, I'm screwed, man. I'm not getting anywhere. So it really, really upsets me when we get billionaires coming out here who are just, you know, Jay-Z was jetting around the world during the pandemic. He was fucking on yachts. He was in different countries. We're sitting here. I didn't leave my house for six months because I had nowhere to go. I couldn't, I had to, I'm living, I was living with my parents. My parents are elderly. I couldn't leave and risk getting COVID and bring it back to them. So for him to sit there and, and like play this victim role where he's like, well, everyone hates capitalists or everyone hates black capitalists. Again, I can't speak on the racial issues, but for me, looking from the outside, it's people just fucking hate capitalism. And so, yeah, it was just, it just went down like a fucking, I don't know what he's going on. Oh, lucky for you, Ben. I can. Fuck black capitalists. And the reason why is simple, right? And it's even worse thinking about it when it comes to America, right? And the history of America, where you have people like Jay, um, and, you know, he comes, and like you, like you said at the beginning, when it comes to, you know, people like Dave Chappelle, right? Where 
they haven't changed, but the world worldview has, and they just refuse to, you know, ex- even accept it. Not even change themselves, but just accept the fact that it ha- that it's happened. Right? To have someone like that. And, you know, referencing Basquiat all the time, putting your hair up like Basquiat, um, and feeding into the art machine that is just the art world, right? Where, you know, people are buying shit for millions of... uh, I mean, there's plenty of videos on YouTube about um, the art world and just how it's just complete fucking uh, uh, job. Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's just a a rich people job. Right, investments, stuff like that. It's just bollocks, all of it's bollocks, right? And then you have something like, you know, Malcolm X, Black Panthers, all of that shit, all of that historical element, and you have your audacity to go about that. To and I've I've been seeing videos also in the past, you know, couple of days, um, coming back to Jay and how much they've aged. Um there was one where he was talking about um oh, um it was another one we was talking about, um, you know, just uh, coming up and stuff like that. Um, and another side note, this is recent, by the way. He tried to sell people in Marcy Projects right now Bitcoin, bruv. Like, he tried to get him into Bitcoin. Like, as if that's fucking needed for them. Mm. You know what I mean? Just shit like that. That's scummy. That is scummy behavior. I don't care. I don't care how many people you've taken out of prison. I don't care that you EP'd a Khalif Browder documentary. Good for you, right? But the point, but this is why philanthropy in general is just absolute bullshit. Because you, why do you want credit? Like, ask yourself, why do you want credit for something that you can do a million times over, pretty much literally? Like, you, you can, you can, you can pay for this, you can pay for that, you can pay to uplift people, uplift your people, right? In the most logical way. Um, a hundred times over, a thousand times over, maybe a million That's times the thing. over. That's the thing. But you decide not to. But then, when you do something, you want a you want a round of applause. You you, you know stuff like that. Like when Jeff Bezos gets to get he like got an award for saying uh he got an award for saying re- uh, not recently but you know in the past couple of years and it was just like why do you fucking need an award, bro? Like that's the, uh, philanthropy is the most just fucking fucked uh part of altruism as a just a as as a as a mindset because the fact that they need credit they need their names on things you know to 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 feel good just fucking give it to the people bruv if you if you want to give it to the people give it to the people i don't know why they have to make it into some convoluted business deal where like they get something back from it why do you always need something back it it just doesn't. That's the that's the one part of just capitalism in general where it's just like, okay, you've got all you wanted. Oh, you want more? Why? <laughs> I just don't. I just ne- I will never ever understand that mindset. Um, to just having a ton fuck ton of money, um, that will roll over all of the uh, residual income that you will have, uh, that you you and your children and your grandchildren will have for the rest of time. And yet you want more and more and more and more. It just it just it 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 boggles my fucking mind. Yet you want to give Bitcoin to people in your own ends. It it boggles my fucking mind, bro. The thing I'll finish on this. And again, yeah. you know, if I'm saying disrespectful shit, people can call me on it. But the thing that annoyed me 
uh, the most about this was when he did bring up Marcy Projects. And it's this lack of understanding with capitalism that, yes, capitalism is used as a tool by people who oppress and, and use racism to keep people down. Absolutely. But as a tool, capitalism has been used for so many forms of discrimination. But at its core, I believe that capitalism discriminates against people who are less intelligent. That's just the way it is. If you're well, if you're intelligent and you're conscientious, you are going to probably succeed in capitalism. A million different options open to you in capitalism. I was listening to this um, uh, this podcast once, and they were talking about the uh, IQ gap in America, where the IQ gap from the lowest level that they'll take you into the army versus the highest IQ you can have before you're considered intellectually disabled and and can get benefits there's like 10 points in there and it encompasses a shitload of americans and they they have no place in capitalism because because of the way that they were born they literally nothing to do with them whatsoever nothing to do with how hard they work nothing to do with their grind nothing to do with you know not sleeping and getting that money and and getting that paper none of that it's it's not to do with that it's they were born a way that they can't, there's no meaningful jobs for them to actually do in the economy. So they live in poverty. So for Jay-Z to come out, and I can, I told Charlie, it's similar to me with mental health, right? If I come out and say, you know, I've had so many friends with mental health issues in my life, and I have been in way worse situations than I am right now. But I'm lucky because, you know, for so many different reasons, I've been in therapy for like six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen years. So I'm in a place that I wasn't before. But if I say right now, the only reason I'm the way I am now and not the way I am before and the way my friends, some of my friends still are, is because I worked harder than them, how do you think that makes them feel? Mental health is not like that. You can't just say, oh, if you work hard, you'll recover. That doesn't make any freaking sense. Anyone with a mental health condition knows that. So for Jay-Z to come out and say, well, the reason I'm a billionaire is because I worked harder than everyone else, that's not true. And he knows, surely he knows that's not true. He knows that he's a freaking genius. And we uplift him. We, you know, we love listening to Jay-Z. We love what he's done. We love seeing him succeed. Everyone wants that. But when he comes out and says, I, I only have this because I've worked hard, it just it, it makes it like everyone else who doesn't have it just doesn't work as hard as Jay-Z. It's no understanding or awareness of how he got to where he is. And I'm again, I'm not saying he didn't work hard. No freaking way. I would never say that. I adore Jay-Z and I respect his process. I respect what he's gone through. I respect his journey so much. But you can't come out and just have a blatant lack of understanding about how capitalism works and who it discriminates against. Yes, it absolutely discriminates on based on, on race. But that's the governments that are doing that. That's the systemic oppression that's doing that. It's not the same in every country. In Australia, it's not the same. Capitalism doesn't discriminate based on race. It discriminates based on intelligence level. And that's that's universal. It's always going to do that. That's just how it is. It's going to do that across the board. So... That was my final point, and yeah, man, shit really rank, rankled me. Really rankled me. Got got under my skin. Rankled. I've I've put Jay Z all over my wall because someone accused me of not being a Jay Z supporter earlier in the week, and I was like, mm, that's wrong. But anyway, like, yeah, this one, this one Bro, upset me the, a lot. You're, you're the only person I know that has S. Carter's fresh out of the box. So oh yeah, it's fresh, it's yeah. dead stock, man. Yeah, dead stock shit. Oh, I didn't even mention. 
I didn't even mention the main point I wanted to make, which was uh, how I feel like this uh, just completely killed hip hop for me. Um, but I guess I'll yeah. do that almost good. I'm really interested um, to hear that. Yeah, I'll make I'll make that case definitely. Um, all right, with that said, ladies and gentlemen, we shall leave it there. For on the Fifth End Podcast Network, this has been Digging Digits. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've been Charlie Taylor, Fifth Element. I have been Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. Or should I say the R&B Hour. Uh, hope you all have a good week. We should always try and do the same. I'm going to go eat some ice cream. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is piece of games by bonus points. Thanks to Chilled Music for the ability to use. Socials for the Fifth Element, Hip Hop by Numbers, Bonus Points, and Chilled Music will be in the full show notes as well as names of projects reviewed where we'll be listening. This has been a Fifth Element podcast here production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time on Digging in the Digits. <laughs>